0: Well, good morning, everyone. Let me go ahead and ask you to turn to First Corinthians, Chapter Twelve. We have been, um, We have been hanging around with the Corinthians for over a year now. Uh, We started the series back in April or May of last year, I think. And, you know, we've we've learned a whole bunch of uh, good things about the Corinthians. Um, We've learned some some bad things about the Corinthians. Namely that that we 're like them and they 're like us, and, and just our predisposition to do things uh, outside of god 's will, but but we, we 've also learned how God has pursued them and kept them in communion with Him, and He does that for us as well and we 're in First Corinthians twelve this morning, so if, if you know your Bible. Uh, um, th- there's there's a number of you. There's probably three groups of people that are here this morning uh, If you know your bible and and you remember when the series on first corinthians started uh, You are probably one of three groups or you're one, you're in one of three groups uh, you have probably have been waiting for this day uh, where 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the passage in the Bible that expounds on the miraculous gifts for the church will be preached. You, you've been holding uh, just every bit of eager anticipation, just waiting for the day when the charismatic gifts would be unveiled at Lakeview Christian Center. So you're probably in this room. But there's, there's also probably another group of people here in this room. Maybe you're newer to the life of Lakeview Christian Center and, you know, you you, you were drawn to uh, our love for the Bible, reflected in our hour-long, verse-by-verse, deep style of expositional preaching, only to be somewhat shocked that we are, in fact, a charismatic church. Surprise! Or maybe you're just here this morning, ready to receive the Word. Um, last week, Pastor, Creed, Pastor Keith preached a sermon titled "An Introduction to a Spirit-Filled Church," and, and uh, over the past year, in parallel to this First Corinthians series, we've, uh, the elders and the pastoral staff, we, we felt a burden to. To explore fundamental questions about our identity as a church. And and not just our personal identity as a church, but but what we believe God has for every church. Um, Questions like, who are we as a church have come up? Um, What do we believe as a church? And and what's what's most important to us? And um, answers to those questions led to a statement. Seven hills to die on pastor keith preached on one of those hills last week the the hill of the spirit and these these are seven key doctrines that represent our pursuit at lcc to to not just be a different church but to be a faithful church um, seven god honoring christ exalting spirit filled biblically informed and faithful life changing doctrines that have have become part have been a part of the DNA of lakeview christian center and, and we hope that for the future of our church they continue to make up the spiritual DNA of lcc and, and so so with that 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 leads us into verse one of chapter. 12 Now concerning spiritual gifts I want to pick up right where Pastor Keith left off from last week, but, but before, um, th- this is going to be a, 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 a number of weeks where we're going to discuss this topic at length. Why? Well, because the Apostle Paul takes three chapters and then some to discuss some of this. So there's, there's some homework, there's some resources we want to give you uh, to avail yourself of. Uh, I'm certainly not going to cover every single verse in this chapter and focus on every minute, minute detail. But um, just some things that as we're working towards a cohesive understanding of wh- what's God's vision for Lakeview Christian Center. Um, some resources that you should probably consider spending some time in. Uh, the first is a series of, of sermons um, or, or actually uh, two workshops that Pastor Keith gave that you can find on our website uh, called the Ministry of the Spirit Workshop. Uh, uh, Keith spent two two weeks expounding on some of this. Uh, there's also a book that, that uh, Lakeview leaders, small group leaders, and the staff and the elders read this summer. Uh, Sam Storm's book called Practicing the Power. Um, if, if you're a member of Lakeview Christian Center, can I, can I encourage you to make this required reading? Uh, this is just good stuff, practical questions that are answered, uh, that that we, we may uh, t- touch, we may not touch. And then um, lastly, the, the, this book by D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson is a... Uh, probably a world premier New Testament scholar. Uh, he wrote a, this book, A Theological Exposition of 1 Corinthians 12-14 through 14 called uh, Showing the Spirit. Uh, a fantastic book. Unbelievably helpful book. Um, it's, it's academically rigorous. Um, what does that mean? Uh, well, for me it meant, um, after reading two or three paragraphs, I would go to Evan's office and say, Hey dude, can you explain that to me? Uh, that, that's kind of what it meant for me. But um, just a, a profound book that, that goes in depth in trying to define some of the nitty-gritty details of the chapters that we're going to be visiting for the next two weeks. So uh, Keith thought I should mention these uh, resources for your um, pleasure. Now, this is how Pastor Keith left us last week. He said, so what are we doing? What are we doing here, young, old? What are we doing in this thing called church? What's this about? I can't find any, another mission statement that doesn't bring us back to Luke 4. That we have come to proclaim the gospel and set captives free and open the eyes of the blind. To bring liberty to those who are crushed. To announce the year of God's grace in this world. That's what we're about. And so Paul leads us to 1 Corinthians 12 in a discussion of spiritual gifts. This is a hill to die on for us. I've already tipped my hand. Personally, what do you believe? Do you believe that there is such a thing as a transfer of the Spirit from the ministry of Jesus to the ministry of His disciples, which would extend to us as disciples of Christ? Do you believe such a thing exists? Do you personally believe that God intends for there to be a transfer of the Spirit upon Jesus to the Spirit upon you? What's that going to look like? We're going to learn about that as we study through the next couple of chapters. So let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 13 and then we'll pray. The Apostle Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ." For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Let's pray together. Father, would you give us spiritual eyes to discern spiritual truth this morning that can come only through you speaking through your spirit to our hearts. Guide us, O Lord, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, Pastor Keith looked at a word in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, concerning spiritual gifts. And and he spent a good deal of time unpacking what that word meant. But interestingly enough, when we get to verse 4, The Apostle Paul uses a different word that's rendered as gifts. Verse 4 says, a variety of spiritual gifts. The original language, the word is the word charisma, the singular for charismata, which translates as a gift, a spiritual endowment. something God has given, a gift, a spiritual gift. D. Carson helps us when he says, In the New Testament, the term is found 16 times in the Pauline writings and once in Peter, in 1 Peter 4.10. At its simplest, it refers to something grace has bestowed, a grace gift, if you will. The usage in 1 Peter 4.10 tightly ties grace gifts to grace. Each believer is to use whatever gift, charisma, he has resi- received to serve others. Sam Storms, in his book, writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, spiritual gifts, said Paul, are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. They are not something or some stuff that is separate from God. The gifts are God himself working in and through us. They are concrete, often tangible, visible, and vocal disclosures of divine power showcased through human activity. Spiritual gifts are God going public among his people. A charisma or gift of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit Himself coming to clear and sometimes dramatic expressions in the lives of God's people as they minister to one another. Spiritual gifts are God going public among His people. There's a number of things we could look at when we look at this passage. There are details that time does not allow to to fully um, dissect. As I was praying through this passage, the the Lord drew me to one verse. I think that this verse informs not just this section of verses 1-13, through but the entire chapter as a whole. And really, it's the umbrella through which we, we should interpret the conversation about spiritual gifts. And that is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. As much as I wanted to spend time um, clarifying what the gifts were, uh, as as, as much as I felt the the excitement to, ooh, I get to describe what these gifts are, the Holy Spirit kept pushing me back to this verse. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So that's where we're going to spend most of our morning together. And and, and through this one verse, um, three phrases stuck out. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And with those phrases, a question came to mind. To each is given, who receives spiritual gifts? The manifestation of the Spirit, what's the Holy Spirit doing here? And for the common good, why do we need spiritual gifts? So, let's, let's seek to answer that first question. Who receives spiritual gifts? Well, if you read that verse at face value, it says, To each is given. So, that includes, well, everyone. So, the answer is, all those who believe in Jesus Christ receive the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Now, in the context of this letter, Paul is writing to a local church of believers. You'll remember that, that the, the, this is a unique letter. Uh, um, letter. It's, it's an occasional letter. It, it, it's a letter in which Paul is responding to someone writing to him. We, we learned that Chloe, at least this is one person that writes to him, asking him for help reporting certain things. This is a church that's deep in division, deep in strife, uh, doing a whole bunch of things wrong, doing very little Right? Um, and so Paul is sought out and the occasion presents himself so Paul would respond in a number of different um, elements. But he, he, he begins the letter this way. 1 Corinthians 1-2 says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So translation, this letter is for all believers in Corinth and for all believers everywhere. This letter is for Christians. The content of this letter speaks of Christians in Corinth and at all places. So that connects us with verse 7 of chapter 12, to each one. Who is that each one? Well, that each one is the person included in the statement in verse 2. The church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is for all believers. Paul is saying that each believer to each believer is given a manifestation of the spirit. Each believer in Corinth and everywhere receives something from God called a manifestation of the Spirit. That's spelled out in spiritual gifts, and we'll get there. But don't, don't, don't look past that. To, to each is given. If you identify as a believer this morning, guess what you have? A spiritual gift. Not because I say so, but because the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this in God's Word. So, so what does that mean? Well, it means that no one is left out. No one is overlooked. God has not forgotten anyone. 1 Corinthians 12 is, 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 is not, that list of gifts there is, is not like the upcoming Black Friday where, where the, the best deals are like first come, first serve, you know, and, and there's a limited number of, of, of deals. So you want to buy a 150 inch TV for $10, you have to show up at 3 in the morning. And there's only like two of them available and those two people got them and hooray and everyone else missed out. That's not what 1 Corinthians 12 is communicating. That there's a limited number of really cool special thing called spiritual gifts reserved for those who come get them first. To each one. To each one. Each individual. Not to each church in the collective. Paul could have said that. But Paul could have generalized this and said to each church is given a manifestation of the spiritual. Well, okay, so you could parse out it and say, well, to each church, uh, uh, that, that may mean that some have it. That may mean that not all have it. But that's not what Paul says. To each one. So, if you identify as a Christian, if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, if you have looked to the cross for salvation from your sins, salvation has been granted to you by the mercy of God, the Holy Spirit has been poured on you by the mercy of God, and with the Holy Spirit has come spiritual gifts to each one. They are tied to our identity as believers. And, and, and if, if you look at verse 2 and 3, Paul implies that. So in verse 2, Paul says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one's speaking in the spirit of God. So, so the implication is when, when you were pagan, you did this. But now that you're a believer, there's things you do and things you don't do. I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We will look at that in a little bit. With that indwelling comes manifestations of his gifts. There's a contrast between pagan religious practices and the worship of the one true God. And by the way, this is a mark of dead religion. Dead religion is characterized by silent gods. Gods that don't speak to their people. Paul says, you know that when you were led to pagan gods, you were led astray to mute idols. To things that are there. To ideas that exist. But that don't interface with you. That they don't speak to you. That they don't don't connect with you. They're there, you're here. But our concept, our biblical concept of God is God speaks to us. God has connected Himself to us through His Spirit. And and the manifest a manifestation, not the only manifestation of that, comes through spiritual gifts. So who receives spiritual gifts? All believers. I'm going to stress this point because it's important. Verse 6 says, And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. Verse 11 says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Verse 13, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, um, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. So all believers receive spiritual gifts from God. What, what, what's, what's the effect of that? What should that produce in us? At least two things. The twin effects of receiving spiritual gifts should be humility and hope. Why humility? Verse 7 says, to each is given. Verse 8 says, to one is given, then to another. Verse 9 says, to one is given to another. Verse says, 10 says, to one, to another, to another, to another. Verse 11 says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We, we should be humbled by the fact that God has given us something. He, he is the source of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts come from Him. They are not developed by our own power or strength. We don't earn spiritual gifts by what we do. We don't graduate into spiritual gifts by walking the Christian faith a number of years or doing a number of religious things. We don't achieve spiritual gifts by living a better Christian life than others. Spiritual gifts are not the indicators. There are no indicators that we are better off than anyone else. Now that's important because that's how the Corinthians saw themselves. They saw some people having certain spiritual gifts. And others not having certain spiritual gifts. And and they said, we're better than you because we have these gifts. You don't have these gifts. We should be humbled. That God in his grace not only has chosen us. Has saved us. Has indwelt in us. But has saw it fit to empower us. And has led us to have these wonderful gifts. There's no room for boasting. There's no room for pride. There's no room for self-elevation. Paul would say, what do you have that you have not received? So if you have a spiritual gift, brothers and sisters, praise God. The honor and glory is for Him. He gets the glory. So, so... Humility is one effect. But the other is hope. So to each is given. God is the source of spiritual gifts. We we have really no necessary contribution to that. God is in heaven looking at believers saying, here have this one, here have this one, here have this one. And he is moved by his wisdom, by his will, and by his love to apportion these gifts. But if that is true... That means that he has moved to give you a spiritual gift. I had a conversation with someone in my office not too long ago. And, and as, as we, we were speaking about the Christian life. And, and um, she, she looked at me and she, and she, she was saddened, uh, somewhat um, depressed, discouraged certainly. And she said, I, I wish I was like that person. And she named another person in the church. She said, they have something I don't. And she was referring to spiritual gifts. If you're you're a believer this morning, that that can't be you. You have a spiritual gift. God has given to each one a spiritual gift. So you should not feel left out. Now, you may need help discovering it. You may need help fanning it into flame. But God didn't run out when he was handing them and then you were the last in line. And Oh, sorry, my bad. That's not how it works. So be filled with hope that that Christ has saved you for his purposes and has empowered you through his spirit and has, in fact, given you a gift. If you've ever felt like a second-rate Christian, you shouldn't because you aren't one. There should be an expectant joy in, in, in discovering them, the, the spiritual gifts are available to you. You you, you can develop them. We'll, we'll work through those things in, in later sermons. But I, I want to impress the idea that that, that, that that you were not shortchanged in coming to Christ. You were given what every other believer was given. So that's the first question: Who who receives spiritual gifts? Second question comes in that, in that uh, half, um, the middle of the verse, the manifestation of the Spirit. So, what is the Holy Spirit doing? Maybe it'd be helpful for us to, to ask the question what has the Holy Spirit done for us? This is a quick rundown on some scriptures. We, we are probably familiar with the work of God the Father, God the Father has decreed salvation for humankind. And has sent His Son. We're, we're, we're familiar with God the Father's plan and God the Son and His plan. Christ died on the cross for the atonement of our sins, and all who place their faith in Him, profess Christ to be Lord, will, 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 will be saved. We, we get those two; like th- those are clear in our understanding. But I have found this is my, my case that the, the Holy Spirit was confusing. So, so what does He do? Like, what what role does He play? In, in, in salvation. Does, does he actually have a role in salvation? Is, is he in the background? Is he meant to be in the background? Well, what has the Holy Spirit done for us? The Holy Spirit has given us life. John 3, 6-7 through 7 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that marvel I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. John 630 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. 1 Corinthians 6.11 clarifies the work of the Spirit in relation to the sacrifice of cross. Paul says, and after, after a long list of, of, of character defects and sinful behaviors and, and what we were. We were identified as dead, sinful people. But then Paul says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Romans 8, 9 through 11 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what does the Holy Spirit do as it relates to our salvation? Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ to our souls. He takes what Christ has done and he breathes it into our souls. He gives us life. He he takes the sacrifice of Christ and applies it to us. That's not the only thing the Holy Spirit does. Keith spent most of of his um, sermon last week um, speaking of of the dimension of empowerment. But related to that is is the, 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 the idea of indwelling. John 14, 15 through 17 says, Jesus praying, one of his last prayers, he says, if, speaking to, to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in Acts one eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit comes and indwells believers and, and there's two dimensions to that. The, the, the New Testament describes an external dimension to that, but, but also an internal dimension to that. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. We were submerged by the Holy Spirit. We were were brought in. We were surrounded by. So he's, he's our covering in some sense. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So the Holy Spirit's on us. He has fallen on us, but he indwells in us. This is an external reality that empowers us, and there's an internal reality that enlivens us. Later on in, in Galatians, Paul would say, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I, I think it's just a simple, the Holy Spirit's inside you. He, he dwells. Holy Spirit is a person, it's not a force, not a thing, not a power. A person with ideas, with thoughts. And he dwells in you and with you. What an incredible thing God has done. So the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ to our souls. He awakens us us to life, empowers us to live this new life that he has given. And validates our salvation when we get to heaven. The Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The the, uh, picture I get in in my mind is... We were in Orlando this past week for the Silent Grace Pastors Conference, and every time you you get on an airplane, you have to go through the enjoyable process of walking through TSA uh, security. Uh, That's such a lovely idea, just a wonderful and encouraging and exciting thing. No, it's terrible. Uh, It's frustrating. Uh, I always get picked to be the guy who stands on the machine, and it's just, I'm like, do I really look that terrible? The answer is yes, but... But there, there, there's that massive machine, right? That you go in there, there's, there's, a, there's footsteps on the ground, and then it's got a little draw out of a human being, and you have to stand like this. And then this thing circles you, and it takes this picture of your inside, and, and everything that's inside is revealed, right? I, get, I have this weird idea of what heaven's going to be like. When we get to the pearly gates, th- there's going to be a weird TSA machine. And every believer is going to walk through that weird TSA machine and, and something's going to see into us, peer into us, and guess what's going to be revealed? The Holy Spirit. Oh, that one has a Holy Spirit. He's sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's the picture I get. He, he validates the salvation. He gets us saved the work of Christ. He keeps us saved and he is the proof of our salvation in the last day. So, he gives us life. He he makes permanent the work of Christ on the cross. He seals us for the coming of the day of judgment. But that's not all he does. That's probably what we're familiar with when it comes to the Holy Spirit. But this sermon is about 1 Corinthians 12. What is he doing now? Well, I think through this list of gifts, these manifestations of the Spirit... He's doing at least two things. The first thing he's doing is he is undoing the effects of the fall. You must remember this. I said it earlier. The the, the letter of 1 Corinthians didn't happen in a vacuum. The Apostle Paul didn't sit down and just, hmm, to whom shall I write a letter to? And what shall I make my chapter? That's not how it happened. Again, it was an occasional letter, something he receives and and he writes. And, and, And he writes to a church that is characterized by a number of things, but chief among those things, this church is characterized by divisions, by strife, by quarrels. They are not united. They are enemies within themselves. They are tearing the spiritual fabric of their church. And this is based on a number of different reasons for them. Based on social reasons. Based on racial reasons. Based on ethnic reasons. That may even sound like the church in America today. Right? We're no different than the the Corinthians. And at the root of this division was was bitter jealousy for a number of reasons. This goes way back, by the way, to Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. We see the first example of, of jealousy. Two brothers who give gifts to God. One is received, the other is not. And what happened? You know the story. Jealousy takes over Cain's heart and he kills his brother. Jealousy leads to murder and murder to separation from God. Diversity created division. It happened Cain and Abel. It happened in the church of 1 Corinthians. And it may happen here or the church down the street. But 1 Corinthians 12 is a reversal of this. Rather than men giving gifts to God... It is God giving gifts to men. And rather than those gifts leading to separation, God's good gifts lead to unity. God saw it fit to take pleasure in calling for himself a beautiful mosaic of different people from different races, from different ethnicities, from different social classes, from different backgrounds. And his glory is seen in how he has knitted them, how he has knitted us all together. When humanity sees division, when humanity peers out into the landscape of culture and they see uh, diversity, it typically winds up leading to division, to strife, to fighting. But God, in His infinite wisdom, uses diversity to produce unity. Part of what's happening here in First Corinthians twelve is God is using the diversity of the gifts. To bring about the unity of the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Diversity is being used to produce unity in the church. You look at verse 4, 5, and 6. There's a variety, there's a variety, there's a variety. But it comes from the same God, the same Lord, and the same Spirit. And you notice that Trinitarian reference there? You think that's coincidence? God is showing that in some way He he is diverse existing in three persons one God, three persons and that that diversity if we are to image Him and reflect His glory in His church then then diversity should be something that should bring about unity and in this case diversity is seen through the giving of a diverse number of gifts so that's, that's one thing that could potentially be happening here But the other thing that's happening here is that the Holy Spirit is making the presence of God known. Wayne Grudem in his Systematic Theology writes, In the lives of individual believers, the Holy Spirit does not entirely conceal His work, but makes Himself known in various ways. He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and cries, Abba, Father, Father. He provides a guarantee or down payment of our future fellowship with him in heaven and reveals his desires to us so that we can be led by those desires and follow them. He gives gifts to manifest his presence. And from time to time, he works miraculous signs and wonders that strongly attest to the presence of God in the preaching of the gospel. It seems more accurate, therefore, to say that although the Holy Spirit does glorify Jesus he also frequently calls attention to his work and gives recognizable evidences that make his presence known. Indeed, it seems that one of his primary purposes in this new covenant age is to manifest the presence of God. What does that mean? It means to give indications that make the presence of God known. This encourages people's faith that God is near and that he is working to fulfill his purposes in the church. You ever ask the question, I wonder what it would be like for God to show up at church. You ever ask that question? Ever come on a Sunday morning gathering and say, I wonder if, if God showed up at church, what would it look like? 1 Corinthians 12. That's what it would look like. It's not the only thing it would look like, but that's what it would look like. The Holy Spirit manifesting the glory of God in our presence. So wonder no more. Let's look at that last question. Why do we need spiritual gifts? So verse 7 says... To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why do we need spiritual gifts? John Piper helpfully articulates, the work of the church is thoroughly supernatural. But let me stress something also about the Spirit here. What this verse, verse 7, is saying is that the work of the church is a thoroughly supernatural work. One of the greatest curses on a church is when its business is down to such a science that it manifestly runs by human effort alone. In that case, the verse should read not, to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Rather, it should read, from each one is offered a manifestation of human effort. If that's the main thing in a church The efficiency of man is glorified, not the sovereignty of the spirit and the lordship of Jesus. So why do we need spiritual gifts? Because we're doing spiritual things. Because our God is spirit and he has created spiritual people to go about his spiritual work on earth. Do you think we can do this with just human effort and earthly means and fleshly means? No. No. We need spiritual gifts because we need them. There are are certain intrinsic lackings that we have. There's, There's certain intrinsic deficiencies that we all possess. There's things we don't have by design. And so Paul lists here nine spiritual gifts. Why do we need them? I think the spiritual gift of cells gives us a clue for why we need them. So the first two, utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, you can translate that to word of wisdom, because I don't know what the word utterance means, so I said word of wisdom. So word of wisdom and word of knowledge, why do we need words of wisdom? Because we need help in understanding God's glorious and mysterious purposes in redeeming a people through the foolishness of the cross. You remember that the Corinthians thought themselves of being wise. Yet the cross of Christ would seem folly. We need help. We need help in looking at the folly of the cross and finding it rich and wise and beautiful and glorious. We can't do that of our own self. So we need the help of the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us. Words of knowledge. Why do we need that? Because we need help to communicate and understand the unfathomable depths of the great God's gracious work in Christ. We don't just need hidden information about random things. We, we, we need to understand more fully, more deeply how the work of Christ on the cross affects the intricate details of our lives and the lives of others. We can't come up with those things on our own. So God, by His grace, helps us by giving words of knowledge. The gift of faith, that's described. Why do we need faith? Because according to Jesus, there's mountains needing to be moved. The work of God involves supernatural things beyond our limitations. You will never in your own human effort be strong enough or smart enough to do what God has called you to do. Because he has called us to do things that supersede human strength, supersede human intelligence. Things that are not natural. They are supernatural. And how are those things accomplished? By faith. Where does that faith come from? It's a gift from God. Gifts of healing. Why do we need gifts of healing? Because according to Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he told his disciples that he sent them on a mission to heal the sick, cast out demons, do all sorts of manifestations to, to usher in the, the, the kingdom of God into earth. Why do we need the working of miracles? See number three and number four. Why do we need prophecy? Because our God still speaks. Our God is not silent. This does not mean we get a new Bible every time God speaks. But the fact that we have a Bible does not mean that God is silent anymore. God communicates to his people. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Our God is not silent. We need to hear him. We need to know how to hear him. Why do we need the gift of distinguishing spirits? Well, because we wrestle against spiritual forces. Peter would remind us that Satan roams around like a lion. And last time I checked, lions are pack hunters. Lions don't hunt alone. So we need help. We see Satan coming down, but there might be another lion over here. We need help to be able to discern the attacks of the enemy. Who they are, where they're coming from, what they're going to do. Do you do that by reading a book? Do do, do you figure that out by going to a seminar? Does a college degree get you that sort of insight? How do we receive that ability? Well, we receive it by God. Speaking in tongues. Why do we need speaking in tongues? Why is that good? Because human language cannot express what God has prepared for those who love him. There's a limitation to the human mind that logically implies human language, our ability to communicate, will be limited. And when it comes to describing our limitless and infinite God and enjoying him, there ain't enough languages in the world, there ain't enough words in the world to be able to describe what that feels like. To be able to ascribe to God the glory he has due in terms that satisfy him completely. So what does God do in his wonderful mercy and grace? He says here, let me, let, let, let me install this language. Okay. Why do we need interpretation of tongues? Well, because apparently God wants others to hear the unspeakable. He, he wants others to benefit from this. Now, at some point, one of the guys after me is going to come up and, and, and elaborate on these, but don't lose verse seven don't lose how important that these gifts are given to us for our common good. Verse eleven through thirteen lead us to, to, from empowerment for external works. We need them from empowerment for external works to encouragement for the internal work of of, of the church. Spiritual gifts help build the kingdom of God inside the church so as to empower the kingdom of God outside the church. Church, we we are a spiritual people redeemed by our God who is spirit and sent us on a spiritual mission. We need more than talents and skills and sophisticated marking techniques to reach the lost, we need spiritual empowerment. We need something more than best practice, people management skills, cutting-edge psychotherapy, and visionary leadership to care for our people. That's not enough. We need God himself to manifest himself in us, work in and through us to care for those who are here. And that's a spiritual endeavor. That's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual gift. We need more than expertise, experience, proficiencies, abilities, capabilities, or advice. We need God's presence in our midst. We need His very presence to empower His people and encourage His people to fulfill His eternal purposes. And that only comes by the Spirit of God. Manifesting His presence to His people. And a part of that manifestation, a key part, not the only part, is these gifts that are listed. So, application. Eric, you'd probably come up, dude. What do you do with the sermon? What do you do with this passage? Three things. Number one, don't fear the spiritual gifts, Don't, don't fear them. This was me. This was me. There's a number in the church, a number of folks here who have come to us recently who this is a, an interesting topic for y'all. You don't know what to do about with this. You came, you, you, you were drawn to the, the, the deep expositional preaching of the word and, and you, you you may even feel like there was a bait and switch. And then all of a sudden, there's gifts and charismatic expressions. Well, we... we we saw that coming. And so the preaching staff at Lakeview Christian Center and all their wisdom decided to have the least charismatic guy preach on this <laughs> sermon to, to, to serve you. To, 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 fear not. <laughs> but it, it, in, in full, don't fear them. You may fear them because, like me, maybe you didn't understand them. You you, you may fear them because maybe like me, you've been taught something else about them. Maybe you've seen wild abuses when it comes to the spiritual gifts. That's true. But friends, last time I checked, 1 Corinthians 12 is in my Bible. It's in there. And of all the things the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians related to the spiritual gifts, you know what's one thing he doesn't tell them? This is the passage Paul could have given clear commands on on spiritual gifts. And he does. You, you, You know the one thing he doesn't say? The one thing that Paul does not say related to spiritual gifts. Stop. So don't fear them. Our God is more powerful than our minds can understand. And he has and will continue to work in ways that are too great for our minds to understand. Second thing is, don't, don't despise spiritual gifts. This is a sin I personally fell into. I, I would mock. Let I me mean, let me correct myself. There are people that need to be mocked in this category. I'll, 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 I'll say that abundantly clear. People, people that are abusing these gifts for self-gain, for self-promotion, that are are bastardizing the the gospel of Jesus Christ for their own gain. I'm gonna mock them all day. But don't despise spiritual gifts. I mean, Paul would say, don't despise prophecy, right? Don't don't do what, 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 what... If the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and a manifestation of the holy spirit is a spiritual gift then to despise spiritual gifts is a rejection of the holy spirit in us which logically means it's a rejection of him so do, don't do what i did for a long time so don't fear them they're 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 a little unusual right they're they're they're, they're a little unconventional But as you look through the the story of the Bible and and you look at what God has done through redemptive history, how how many of you would write the word usual in the story of Moses and Israel? How how many of you would write the word usual in the story of Elijah and Elisha? How how many of you would write usual in the visions that he gave the prophet Ezekiel? How how many of you would label the ministry of Jesus on on, on the earth usual? Usual. We have a great God. And lastly, let me, let me encourage you to, to do what 1 Corinthians 14.1 will exhort us to do in a couple of weeks. And that is to pursue spiritual gifts. You may have questions in this area. You may have sensitivities in this area. You, 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 it, this might be an area that you're struggling with. Let me encourage you to, to not be silent about that. To come seek one of the guys. To come sit with one of the elders. Come sit with one of the pastors. D- don't sit on this in silence. I did and it was not helpful. At all. But, but pursue them. P- pursue them how they have been pursued. Pursued. Let me give you you three recent expressions of this in the life of our church. Not too long ago, a young woman came to one of our elders, to to, to, to his wife, and confided in in, um, a, a medical diagnosis that she received. She was getting married, and much to her surprise, there was a tumor in her body, and she didn't know what else to do but seek prayer and this elder and his wife prayed for healing for this young woman who was about to get married at a follow up appointment to the doctor guess what the doctor told her well you had something there before it ain't there no more Another example of um, a lady in the congregation who was praying and received a a prophetic word, a a, a word that came, a message that came outside of her, guided towards a particular young lady. These two individuals didn't really know each other well. The the church lady knew the young girl, uh, but it was a casual, superficial, hey, I know who you are. This lady approached the young girl and and said, God has given this to me to give to you. And it turns out that this young girl was battling um, a number of, of issues. She'd been cutting herself. She'd been in depression, feeling not loved, feeling discouraged with life. And God had impressed this prophetic word on this woman to go meet this girl where she was. And through that, God entered into a relationship with this young girl. Just this week, the pastors got an email of something that happened in our small groups where a woman received a prophetic impression of, of a name. And that name was given in the small group. And, and apparently, that, that, that name was a family member of that small group person who had been running away from God. And through that word, uh, repentance and, and, and the, the future restoration of a family is beginning to happen. So, my question to you girls is do you want these types of things at LCC? Do, do we want to see God work in these ways? Do we? And so how do we respond? We, we, we gladly receive them and posture ourselves to receive them. Let me pray for us and then Eric's going to lead us in a couple songs. Let's pray together. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who has taught the Lord anything, who has given anything to the Lord that he should be repaid? No one. Lord, your ways are vastly greater that we can describe that we can discern That we can try to limit. In your grace O Lord. you, you, You see it fit to. Invade the natural realm. To push back the fabric of. The material world. That we cling to so firmly. And you do things Lord. That only a God could do. So Father, I want to pray for a, two different groups of people in our midst this morning, Lord. I want to pray for those who are struggling in this area, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would convict and encourage Father, that you would bring about, oh Lord, an awareness that despising your gifts is despising you. But Father, that you would encourage them and remind them that all sins have been nailed on the cross. Father, I I would also like to pray for people in the church, Lord, who are disappointed, frustrated even, oh Lord. That they don't see a visible expression of these gifts in their life. Maybe they did at some point in the past, Lord. Maybe they were they were fervent and active in an expression of these gifts, oh Lord, but, but the past week, the past month, the past years, Lord, maybe it's been years since they have manifested the spirit oh lord that has led to discouragement that has led to questions of where's my faith what is wrong with me what have i done lord father for your purposes your word has just informed us lord that to each is given the manifestation of the spiritual of the holy spirit for our common good So, Father, it is our good that we have these gifts. And it is our good that these gifts flourish. And it is our good that these gifts be used, Lord. So, for those, Father, who have had dormant gifts, for those, O Lord, who have had gifts tucked away in a closet, collecting dust, being covered in spiritual cobwebs, Lord, to them would you breathe your Spirit, O Lord, and activate, Father, what you have planted, O oh Lord. That others in our midst, Father, who have never seen an expression of your gifts, Father, would be awakened to their existence, Father. Would you would you surprise us, Lord? Would today, Father, as we pray, would you do something that leaves us speechless? Would you tear down, O oh Lord, the... the The constructs we have built. Would you use us, Father, for your glory, I pray.